So this is week two of this series that we're doing called Fields, and the idea is this, that Jesus said the fields were white for harvest. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and we're trying to change that here at Bayou City Fellowship. We want it to be true that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are also plentiful. It's like the same way that you would ask somebody, what field of work are you in? And you would give an answer. I would love for you to, at the end of this series, be able to say, uh, here's what kind of kingdom field and work that I am a part of. Uh, this week I got an email after doing the introductory message of this series and uh, from a young guy in our church uh, in his late 20s, and he's always wanted to be a comedy writer. And if you follow him on Twitter, you would understand why. Not only does he want to do it, but he's good at it. And he was recently accepted into a program in New York City. But instead of a lot of people giving him a lot of support, some people kind of looked at it with some skepticism because he's in his late 20s, kind of starting this new venture. And he just said, thank you so much for the permission uh, from God to step into this new season because I feel like it's more... Uh, than just a career change and career opportunity. I, I feel like this is what God wants me to do. And that's what this series is all about. It's, it's about giving permission, that you have permission to do what it is that God has called you to do, that you don't need your church to do it for you. You know, a lot of us assign our ministries away to the church, like by proxy. Oh, my pastor will do it, or pastoral staff will do it, or some key volunteer will do this for me. I want to be a part of a community that does such things, but, but I don't know if I have time for it, or it's in my schedule, or I'm particularly gifted to do it. And we're just giving permission away here at Bayou City Fellowship, permission to do what it is that God has called you to do in the field that he has called you to. I want you to take your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. This is what it says in verse 27. After this, he, that's Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So Jesus goes out and he saw. That's what we talked about last week, that life has a way of putting blinders on us, that what's in front of us is the most important thing to us, that we have responsibility, we have people that we're obligated to. And so most of us spend most of our lives just looking straight down at what's in front of us. But the answer is to look up and look out. And what do we see when we look up and look out? We see a harvest that's plentiful. And Jesus looked up and he saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, Matthew's account in the gospel of Matthew of this story lets us know that it was Matthew. Uh, Bible scholars believe that his other name was Levi. He possibly had two names that he went by in different contexts. And so uh, Jesus looks up and he sees Levi sitting there who is a tax collector. Now, if you've been around the Bible for just a brief moment, you know that tax collectors were a very special breed. We're not talking about IRS agents. Uh, tax collectors were hated by the Israelite people in the first century for a couple of reasons. Number one, nobody likes it when you take their money. Amen, right? You don't like paying taxes, and so you know that you're not supposed to hate IRS agents, but you do kind of a little bit, right? Uh, so you don't like giving your money away, and neither did they in the first century in Palestine. Uh, 
they also hated tax collectors because tax collectors were Jewish people. So they were in the family, but they decided that they would work for Herod Antipas, who was a semi-Jewish king, governor at that time. But Herod Antipas really was underneath the authority of the Roman government. So you can imagine having someone in your family saying, I'm going to betray you and all that you stand for and all that you want. I'm actually going to go and work for your enemy. And more than just work for your enemy, I'm going to actively take money out of your hands to put into their hands so that they can continually violate this country that we care so much about. So it would be natural for you or for anyone to to hate tax collectors. And so Levi was not a very popular person. And it says that he's in his tax booth. Outside of every city and village, there would be a booth or a, a, a place, a little hut uh, for the taxes to be paid. And as you went from city to city, village to village, you would have to pay a tax. So people would have known Levi. But look what Jesus says. He says, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose And followed him. Now, Jesus' invitation was intentional to Levi. This was not just a broadcast of, hey, whoever wants to, anybody interested. This was specifically targeted at Levi that Jesus is willing to be associated with this type of person. Verse 29 And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining. At the table with him. So Levi hosts a party. Now, at this party, there would have been a U shaped table. The table would have been low to the ground. There would have been these couch type things also low to the ground that the guests would have sat on. Levi would have been the host, so he was at the middle of that U shaped, and Jesus, as the guest of honor, would have been right next to him. And it says there's a large gathering of tax collectors. Because Levi's not a trained theologian, he's not a rabbi, he's not someone who's going to just march into the streets of Capernaum where they probably are and say, hey everybody, listen up, I've been collecting taxes, but Jesus came and he invited me to follow him and I believe that he's the Messiah and I'm putting all my hope in him, why don't you also put your hope in him? That's not what he was trained to do. So he just did what came natural and what came natural was to throw a party for his friends with Jesus as the guest of honor. Because the field that you were harvested from is usually the field you are called to harvest yourself. The field that you were harvested from, meaning wherever you came from, makes you uniquely qualified to go back to that place and represent Jesus there. We see this with the Apostle Paul. Turn really quickly, keep a finger in Luke chapter 5 to Acts Chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, had a dramatic conversion experience. He used to be somebody who persecuted Christians. He was so zealous for God's law and God's way, uh, so zealous for it that he was blinded uh, by the gospel of Jesus until Jesus himself appeared to him on the road to Damascus as Saul slash Paul, is going to persecute Christians. Now he's a believer, and this is what is happening. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So they're praying, they're fasting, they're having church, and the Holy Spirit comes in real specifically and says, I'm I'm setting Paul slash Saul and Barnabas aside for a special field. Now send them out to their field. Verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salmias, they proclaimed the word of God, whereat? In the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So Paul is from the synagogue. This, his whole life before he became a Christian revolved around the synagogue. It revolved around the Jewish way of life. It revolved around the law of God. All things that were at the heart of the synagogue. So what's the most natural place for him to go after he's been set apart by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel, but back into the synagogue. And you're thinking, well, maybe that's just a, a one-time only thing. No, verse 13. And Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. You're feeling sorry for me for all these names that I'm having to pronounce. I'm doing a good job, though. Uh, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But when they went from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia, uh, I bragged and now I'm humbled. And uh, on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So he goes into the synagogue. In chapter 14, he does the same thing. They go to a new place. Where does he go? He goes to the synagogue because the field that you came from is the field that you're most qualified to harvest. Some of us left our sin when we became believers, which is exactly what you were supposed to do. But we left our people when we left our sin. We left our ministry opportunity. There's a difference between walking away from sin and walking away from your responsibility. There's a difference between walking away from your past and walking away from the people of your past. Paul goes right back into the place that he formerly had come from. I wonder if uh, Jesus just materialized right here in front of you and you were the only one who could see him. And he pulled up a chair and had a knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye conversation with you. And he said, I-, I want you to throw a party for me and your unbelieving friends. How big of a building would you have to rent? Would you have to go to Alicia's, our favorite Cypress place, and just rent the whole thing, the whole restaurant? You know, Papacitos, Lupe Tortilla, I'm shutting you down this Friday night because I'm hosting a party for Jesus and all of my unbelieving friends. I got to take up the whole restaurant. Or maybe you wouldn't need the whole restaurant, but you definitely want to reserve the room in the back. And you'd show up there with Jesus and your unbelieving friends and they're like, do you have a reservation? Absolutely. I called earlier this week. I reserved the room in the big party room in the back. That's for us. We're having a party. Or would you just maybe need to call a day ahead because you didn't need a room, you just needed a, maybe a real long table, big table, putting the tables together, they're making you wait there in the lobby because even though you called ahead, they weren't prepared for you. But then they prepare the, the big long table and you go and, and you sit down and it's awkward to figure out who's paying for everything, but you'll figure out how to split the checks because Jesus is there and you should probably just go ahead and pay if he's there, you know. <laughs> he's the son of God, but he wants you to pick up the tab. 
Or maybe you just need to call ahead that afternoon because you didn't need a long table. Maybe you just needed a regular table, but you wanted to make sure that it was there. Or maybe your circle of unbelieving friends is so small that you wouldn't even need to call ahead because even if it was crowded, you could just go and sit at those little bistro tables in the bar area. Because Levi could fill up a whole house, a large gathering of his tax-collecting friends. Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus inserting himself into different social circles. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, he inserts himself into the world of fishermen by calling his first disciples Peter, James, Andrew, and John. He even helps them in their fishing in Luke chapter 5. In the next section, we see him inserting himself into the very small social circle of a leper. You think, well, I didn't think lepers had social circles. They didn't. They were essentially alone. If they were lucky, they could find enough lepers in their area to form a little colony outside of the village, a village outside of the village, because they could only be together everywhere a leper had to go. They had to let people know so that people wouldn't get close to them. But Jesus inserts himself into the small social circle of the leper by having a conversation with him, but also even more than that, touching him. And here in Luke chapter 5, we're reading Jesus insert himself into the social circle of the tax collectors. Because why? You are only influential in the circles in which you are willing to be a part of. You are not influential in circles that you are not a part of. So as you come home from church today and you drive down your street and you you ask God, God, I want to be influential on the street in Jesus' name, you're going to have to be willing to be a part of the circle of your street. So step one, go outside. It's hard to be influential on your street from your couch. You're like, well, you don't know the power of my Facebook posts. I don't. But I would guess that your social media proclamations of Jesus only affirm to people what they already knew about you. Probably doesn't cause much introspection in their own hearts. Go outside. Pull out your lawn chairs. Stick them in the middle of the road. Go down to the end of the cul-de-sac. Go to the bus stop because that's where people congregate in the mornings and afternoons. Because you can only be influential in the circles that you're willing to be a part of. You show up at your office tomorrow and it's a field that God has, has given you responsibility in. Be a part of the circle there. You know, maybe don't eat alone five out of five days a week for two reasons. Number one, it makes you seem weird. Number two, you can't influence a circle that you're not willing to be a part of. And so instead of eating alone this week, why don't you eat in the break room? If everybody else is going out to eat, why don't you also go out to eat? Because that's where your influence is. Jesus inserting himself, inserting himself into these circles. And what do you do when you get into a circle? What do we see Jesus do? Jesus gave an invitation and he received an invitation. He gave an invitation. He said to Levi, follow me. And he received an invitation. Levi said, will you come to my house and be a part of this party, this dinner party I'm having? It's in your honor and it's with 
my friends. He gave an invitation and he received an invitation. When was the last time that you gave an invitation to an unbelieving friend? Invited them to church, invited them to lunch, invited them to dinner, invited them over to your home, invited them, maybe you're not into hosting people in your home, invited them to go out and eat. When was the last time that you said yes to an invitation from an unbelieving friend? Most of us would would give the same excuse we'd give for anything. Well, I'm busy. I'm busy. I have a lot going on. And that's true. We all do. And I'm afraid that the church, the big church in general, but also this church specifically has not aided you in giving and receiving invitations because we have offered up so many opportunities for us to just be together. Some of your schedules are like Sunday morning, church, Monday night, you know, women's Bible study, Tuesday night, the husband's going to men's Bible study, Wednesday, going to community group, Thursday, volunteering here in this part of town, Friday, Friday's my day off, Friday's my Sabbath from church, Saturday, getting ready for Sunday, got a leadership meeting and this little thing I'm doing at church. And then you add on top of that all the other things that you have going on with your life and your kids and your family and your own schedule. Shame on the church if we have overextended you so much with church stuff that you can't say yes to an unbeliever. Shame on the church if we have offered you so many Bible studies that that Bible study has prevented you from giving an invitation to somebody who's not a believer. Shame on the church if we've made being with us sound more holy than being with an unbeliever. Listen, I'm giving you permission as the pastor of this church to say no to us if it means saying yes to them. Now, don't say no to us if you're just being lazy. Don't say no just because you can't be bothered. But if you get the choice this week between going to another Bible study on the prophetic book of Micah or going to dinner with an unbelieving family in your neighborhood, you choose that family every time. The book of Micah will be waiting on you when you get home. You give invitations and you receive invitations. But anytime that you're giving and receiving with unbelievers, the spiritual police show up. And that's exactly what happens to Jesus. Verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees, a religious, almost political faction in first century Palestine at the time. They were the largest of those kinds of group. There were over 6,000 of them. They dedicated themselves to a rigorous following of the Old Testament law, but they had totally disconnected it from the heart of God. Jesus said, you follow the, the smallest details of the law, but you neglect the weightier matters of it like mercy and justice. And then the scribes, they were experts in the law. They were like religious lawyers. You can imagine a lawyer whose specialty was Old Testament law. That's what those scribes are. And it says that they grumbled. They grumbled because that's what legalistic religious people do. They grumble. They're spiritually cranky. You ever been around somebody who's spiritually cranky? 
And the Pharisees were upset that Jesus is eating with these tax collectors and these other sinners. Why? Because the meal for them is more than a meal. If you go out with an unbelieving friend or a family uh, in your neighborhood, it's just dinner. But for them, it was more than dinner. It was loaded with meaning. It was loaded with religious meaning. Because the Pharisees uh, interpreted the law so specifically that they would do ceremonial uh, rituals to make sure that they were clean before they ate. Not just physically clean, but spiritually clean. And so they had the, all of these little routines that they had to follow. And they knew as Jesus is eating with these tax collectors and these others that they had not done all of those ceremonies. And so they were eating in an unclean way. They're also offended because there's political meaning to Jesus' meal with these tax collectors. Because the tax collectors worked for Herod Antipas, and Herod Antipas worked for the Roman government. And so Jesus is essentially eating with the Roman government. And he's not like calling them out. You know, he's not saying, leave your wicked ways. How dare you? He's just eating is all that we see. It's also loaded with personal meaning because at this time, the Pharisees, because this is early in Jesus' ministry, they want Jesus to be a part of their faction. They want Jesus on their side. And you see that as you read the Gospels. But the more they get to know Jesus, the, the more quickly they realize that they don't want anything to do with him. In fact, they want to harm him. But the fact that he's eating with the tax collectors means that he's not eating with them. And they want to put an end to all of this tax-collecting, disciple-making ministry. You know, there are always justifications for not being in the same circles with unbelievers. Same thing the Pharisees had against Jesus. There's religious reasons, reasons to not be a part of circles with unbelievers. You, you may say, uh, you know, we're all sinners, but they are sinners who sin. You know, I mean, we're sinners who sin, but we're church people, so we don't admit it. We just go, oh, yeah, we're all sinners. We're all saved by grace. But they're sinners who don't care if you know that they are sinning. And you may be like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to be around that. Now, some of us, you may say, I, I can't be around this certain group of people because I would be tempted to take on their identity. And that's important for you to know. You notice in this story, it's about tax collectors becoming disciples, not disciples becoming tax collectors. So if there's a, a circle of unbelievers that you know, if, if I go and be a part of this circle, there's a good chance that I'm going to take on their identity instead of them taking on my identity, then that's a good sign to you that this is not a field that God has called you to at this time. There may be a time in the future where you can be a part of that circle without uh, experiencing the full weight of that temptation but it's not for right now, and you need to know about this. You need to know about that. But that's not the reason most of us aren't in circles with unbelievers, because we're afraid that we'll give in to temptation. The reason is, is that most of us feel too holy to be a part of the mess. We feel too righteous to be around the unrighteous. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. This is about tax collectors becoming disciples. So even though there may be a religious justification, is it something that Jesus would do? The other reason not to be in the same circle with unbelievers is political reasons, not politics and 
government in America, but things like, what would somebody think if they saw me having dinner with these people? What if we go to lunch or dinner and then like the pastor walks in? Like he's going to be cool with that? And I'm saying, yeah, I'm going to be cool with that. Or, or what, if, what if somebody in my community group walked in, they saw me and they knew and it's sweet. Listen, how much easier would our lives be if we just forgot the phrase, what will they think? How much less stressful would your life be if you just forgot the phrase, what would they think? There's also personal reasons for not being in the same circle with unbelievers. My time, my schedule, my control. Verse 31, this is Jesus' response, and this is where we'll finish. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Can you imagine, imagine going to a doctor who only did well checkups? That's the most stressful part about going to the doctor is there's, there's two sections in the waiting room. There's the, the well section. That's the place of honor. That means like you've taken care of yourself and you've eaten right and you've washed your hands. And then there's the section of great shame, which is my kids are puking and it's bad and there's the flu going around and we all look haggard and like we haven't bathed ourselves in four weeks you know there's the two section and then you're always trying to like justify to sit in the well section like well they're kind of sick but they're not like that gross sick over there right and you try to sit as close to the well section line as possible by still be honest some of you are just dishonest and you sit in the well section no matter what but imagine if your doctor didn't have a sick section and you called because it's not going well in your house. And you're like, the flu has hit us. It's Armageddon. Help us right now. And they're like, we don't do that here. You're like, what do you mean you don't do that here? Yeah, we don't treat sick people here. Do you want to make an a, a appointment for a year, one year, you know, well checkup exam? No, I don't want to do that. Like, my guts don't have anything inside of them right now. I need a prescription from you. No, we, we don't do that. We don't treat sick people here. This is what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. He said, I've come for the sick section. I've not come to rubber stamp your righteousness. I've not just come to the healthy to say, congratulations, you're healthy, you're wonderful. I came for these people over here, and over here it's messy. And over here there's sinners who sin and admit they sin, or they don't call it sin. They just do whatever they want, and it's messy, and it's not clean, but this is the section that I came for. I'm not a doctor who only does well visits. Have you, have you ever watched the news or read the paper or been on the internet and you're like, man, this world is awful. Murder here, violence here, famine here, hopelessness here, crime. We have the cure. We've just been hanging out in the well section too long. 
Somebody's got to be brave and go over and sit with the sick people. Because that's who needs the medicine. I mean, what's the bigger, bigger win for your life? You could spend so much time with the righteous that they might become just a little bit more righteous. Or that you could invest your life with unbelievers who are sick, who are lost, and who are dead. Through your influence, see them come to health, wholeness, and life in Jesus' name. What's the greater use of your life? To help good people become a little bit better? Or help the sick become healthy? Somebody's got to go over and brave the sick section. But this is the gospel. All those reasons that the Pharisees had against Jesus, Jesus could have used against you. There were religious reasons for Jesus to not associate with you. He's the holy son of God. He's purity it, it wrapped in Godness. And he came amongst people like you and I. And you may be like, well, I'm not as bad as the guy down at the end of the, my cul-de-sac. If you knew what he was doing, it shame all of you. Well, thankfully, the book of James comes in and says, if you've broken one of the laws, then you've broken all the laws. So you and that guy are in the same boat. And Jesus came into the midst of your impurity and uncleanness and sickness. He had political reasons for not wanting to associate with you. He was the holy son of heaven. Righteousness with flesh on. Can you imagine if he spent his life? I wonder what people are going to think if I associate with this person. I wonder what people will think about me. I don't want them to assume that just because they're doing that, then I'm doing that. And, and it'd be weird, so maybe I'll just make a clean break and, and I can't spend time. No, he was willing to be associated with you. No matter what people thought. No matter how it looked. And he had personal reasons for not wanting to associate with you. He was in heaven. Hello. Better than earth. He was on a throne. He was worshipped by angels. His father was in arms distance to him. A holy paradise that our minds can't uh, even conceive of today. He had all that. And I would say for personal reasons, when he looked at his opportunity here on earth, he might have said, I'm good. I'm good. But he didn't. He came and he associated himself here with you, with people like you. This is the gospel. He walked where you walked. He suffered like you suffered. He felt what you felt was with you in every way and he laid his life down on the cross because you were sick and he had the cure and we're followers of Jesus so we follow him into the sick section and I want you to know today that you being in a circle of unbelievers is just as holy as opening up your Bible. And you being in a circle of unbelievers is just as godly 
is getting down on your knees and praying. And you coming into the orbit of people who don't follow Jesus right now is just as spiritual as another Bible study that you could sign up for. Because Jesus is a physician for the sick. And our fields that he has called us to are filled with sick people. But we gotta get out of our little section and get to where the people need the medicine. You've been called to a field and that field has people in it. And those people need you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for thank you for not giving in to any of those potential justifications. Thank you for stepping out of heaven onto planet earth. Thank you for associating with the likes of us. And thank you more than just showing up to our parties. Thank you, Jesus, that you are an advocate for us. I pray that today somebody would feel advocated for. I pray that you would put a calling deep in us for unbelieving people. Not because we're better than them. Not because we know more than them. But because we too were once sick until we met the physician. just a spirit of prayer, I just want you to just ask God, who are the people in my field? The place that you've called me. Who are those people? Names are going to be in your mind right now and faces are going to flash there as well. It's just, it's just prayer, just pray for them by name. Thank you for responsibility. I pray that we'd be faithful with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? Our prayer ministry team is gonna come forward and take their places. If this is your first time here at Bayou City, we wanna say thank you for being here. You're so welcome as our guest. We end our services this way most weeks because we want to honor Jesus and Jesus said that God's house is a house of prayer and so we take that very seriously and so if you have something on your heart today you just want to be prayed for then come and be prayed for maybe it's an illness that's come into your home that you just can't shake maybe it's some other a relational issue whatever's on your heart this is your opportunity to be prayed for but I also just want to throw out the invitation if a, a name or a face did pop into your mind as somebody that God is calling you to that's in the field that he's given you responsibility over. I want you to come and pray for them. There's something powerful about praying for somebody out loud by name, uh, something holy about it. They may never know that you prayed for them. In fact, I wouldn't tell them, hey, I went forward to church today and I prayed for you. That might be weird or awkward. Um, They may never know that you prayed for them, but uh, it's amazing the doors that God will open through prayer. It's, it's, It's crazy, but he has said that he will respond to our prayers. So maybe you've been looking for an open door with that person 
for a long time, but you come and pray for them, that door's gonna open for you in Jesus' name and give you some influence where there was no influence before. So come and pray for them boldly, powerfully, and watch those doors open. At the same time, if you're here today and you're thinking, I'm not sure that I'm a believer. I'm not sure that I'm in the well section. And that's why we have this access room over here to my right and your left. You can see it all lit up. There are people in there. You can leave today with confidence that you've been made well in Jesus' name. I just encourage you as people are coming forward to pray that you would just walk over there. and Somebody in there will tell you the story about how they were once sick and then they met Jesus. Now it's not that everything turned out okay, but they're not sick anymore. They can tell you their story and you can find out how you can take one step closer to Jesus today. So God, we pray that you would answer these prayers. Pray that you would empower us as we pray them. Lord, we pray that uh, you would answer them for our good, but also for your glory. All these things are in our view now as we pray together as a family. In Jesus' name, amen. If God's put something on your heart, you come and pray.